Welcome to another episode of From Where We Sit. Today, I'm bringing on a guest, another one from DNW, Emma Scott. Emma is a media planner at the agency and has been with us. She's actually an OG employee. She was hired just over a year ago and has been with us through thick and thin. And I'm excited to have her today. So let's welcome Emma Scott to the show. Ooh, happy to be here. It's crazy that like Chris and I started in a little tiny two-person cubicle and now we're recording a podcast. I know. Very <laughs> exciting. Wild. Well, obviously I know you fairly well, but the, these podcasts are illuminating because you're learning little tidbits as we just get to know each other a little bit better. But talk about yourself a little bit. I think it's a good intro about your path, right? So you're in your early 20s, but this isn't your first job. You've had other jobs before, but just talk about your path and also note you're from Hawaii and now you live in Seattle, which is awesome. But talk about a little bit your path and how you got to DNW. Yeah, I think a good place to start is probably college. And I feel like a lot of people have a similar kind of story to what I went through where you go to college and you don't really know exactly what you want to do. You do your first two years, you kind of figure it out from there. So I initially thought I was going to go in and get my architectural degree, and I applied late and didn't get into the architectural school, and I was, like, going to be set back two or three years in my college kind of career, and I thought a lot about it, and I was like, you know, that's not really that long in in the lifespan of things, but I didn't really want to do it. And I don't know, there wasn't really an exact reason. So I was like, okay, I'll go through, not really have any expectations, think about other things that I'm interested in. Thought about a lot of things, an art degree, uh, being a teacher, doing things with science, like anything that your typical college student thinks of. And I knew coming out of college, I at some point in my life wanted to own my own business. My parents have a small business, and so I grew up around that. So I thought, okay, whatever I want to do, having a little bit of a business background will be helpful. And uh, so I decided to apply to Scheidler School of Business, which is a school within the University of Hawaii. So got into that school, didn't know if I wanted to do finance, economics, marketing, but I thought as I like, went through the courses, okay, which one is the most creative? Because I'm a very creative person. Like, what can I do that ties in creativity so I could kind of still have fun in college and learn about things that I'm interested in. And I knew after my first economics and finance class, I'm like, okay, this is not it. And then <laughs> I went into marketing class and I was like, this is really fun. Like, this is so interesting. I loved going to class. And I thought that's a good sign. So finished school, did an internship my senior year that was kind of like social media event planning for a restaurant and they had weddings on the side. So I did a lot of social media, realized that wasn't really my passion or interest. And I took a stats class my senior year, like an advanced, some sort of stats class, had the most phenomenal teacher. And I realized that I really liked numbers. And I didn't like numbers in the math sense of like <laughs> adding it up because I'm not good at math, but I liked kind of looking at numbers, digesting it, trying to figure out a problem and uh, what the numbers are telling you. And so with that, I realized I didn't like social media, kind of liked numbers, right? What can I do with that? Still didn't really know. Then <sighs> I did, uh, after I graduated, I my friend had posted something, it was it was pretty much middle of COVID. She posted something about an opening 
and it was such a struggle to find a job. So I just kind of went out on a whim and I was like, what is this job that you're talking about? Uh, is it related to marketing? She was in one of my marketing classes. And she's like, yeah, it is. You know, you would love it. It's, it's just me, the owner, or like the owner and her. So really small. And I was like, okay, why not? So I sent her my resume. She sent it to her boss, super cool guy. He lives on the big island. His name's Tom. And he was just a serial entrepreneur. He had a skincare company that him and his wife started and a dog training business. And so that was my first true job, marketing job out of college. It was anything you could think of in marketing. It was whatever he kind of wanted to do that day for either of those companies. Oh, like, I want you to make a video that we can post on Facebook and boost it or maybe make some email marketing flows for people that are buying things or can you take some product shots and try and make the ads or can you learn about Google today? Can you do this? So I took so many different courses that he provided and then worked with him and um, got into that space and then realized that I really enjoyed the media buying part of it. But at the time, I had no idea what media buying was. I don't teach you that in college. <laughs> they teach you about, oh gosh, what is it? The four M's or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. Oh my God. Don't even <laughs> ask me what that is. Yeah, go ahead. So in the process of doing that and learning it, I was like, oh, this is a real job. So I started looking into it, researching it a bit more about media buying, media planning. And I figured out this is kind of my next move. And I loved working for Tom. He was great. I wouldn't be in the position I am today without him but it was honestly a little too sporadic for me and uh, (laughs) I needed a little bit more just like a clear cut of the type of work I was going to be doing so then looked for jobs and found uh, media planning jobs in Seattle and in Colorado my boyfriend and I were wanting to move so we were kind of applying for jobs everywhere and then submitted my application to DNW and had an interview and I actually juicy T got turned down. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course I know that, but yeah. Chris knows this, but the listeners don't know this. Um Chris yeah. was like, "I really liked you, but I'm sorry I'm not going to go with you." And then I was like, "Okay, that's fine." And then I went on vacation for a month to visit some family and I get an email and he's like, "Hey, like, I know you're kind of my second choice, <laughs> but would you consider, the, like, taking the position? I was like, heck yeah, like, I don't care. Um, so that's that's how yeah. I ended up here. I'm, I'm blushing and a little bit of embarrassment. Yeah, I mean, that is a true story. <laughs> um, you know, being a first hire at the agency, I was looking, full transparency, looking for someone with a little more experience. There was someone. They actually accepted the position. And then three days before starting, uh, kind of... They shot me an email saying they're interested in removing their acceptance of the the job, and I asked why, and they literally never responded again. So I went back to Emma. I actually remember looking back at old emails and thinking to myself, can I go back to Emma? Like, how did I end this? And it did, maybe it was lucky, maybe I was just setting myself up, but I remember writing an email about how much I liked Emma and that I almost wanted to hire both of them and hire Emma because I thought she had... Um, good qualifications and would be someone to uh, work, would be great at the agency. And so I left it on really good terms and it actually kind of worked out a little bit because she was on a a pilgrimage to Sweden to honor her grandfather. I know your grandfather passed and it worked itself out from a timing standpoint and you've been a great asset to the agency for the last year plus. But um, it's kind of funny how things work out a little bit in weird ways and, you know, 
sometimes I think we chase experience and, you know, who knows how life would have been different if someone else accepted, but it's been a good experience. And, um, I know we're going to talk a little about that here. So you moved from Hawaii to Seattle. I know you were looking at different cities, but how has this transition been to just living in a new city and then kind of starting up your career more formally? And as you mentioned, um, that transition, how has that been in the past year, kind of moving to a totally different place? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because I I went to school in Hawaii, but I also grew up and was born and raised on Maui. And I did a lot of traveling because my family's from different parts of the world, the United States yeah. and whatnot. But I had never truly lived in another place. Um, so it was a big, big transition for me. And it was really hard to begin with, especially... Like, I love working with you, Chris, but, like, coming in... I'm shaking my head. (laughs) Where it was, like, just Chris and I, and I didn't have any friends here. It was in the middle of winter. I just had my boyfriend and my dog, thank God, and I love Theo. Theo. And uh, so it was really... It was a big adjustment, and I didn't really have coworkers to lean on as, like, a friend group to start off. And it was my first kind of true... I guess, like, more corporate type of job. So there's just a lot of changes happening. But I almost like that I got through into it at, like, the worst possible time of, like, dead of Seattle winter. So rainy. Chris kept talking about how it was one of the worst years for rain. Yeah. <laughs> like, so gloomy. I'm like, okay, if I can make it through this, I can make it through anything. And he kept saying, oh, yeah, spring. Your spring's going to come around and... Uh, you're going to love it, Washington summers. So I just had so many different things to look forward to, and I had never experienced fall or any yeah. like s- seasonal transitions. And then from a work standpoint, it was honestly really nice. Yeah. Uh, even though I said it was hard that I didn't have coworkers to lean on, I think I wouldn't have been as comfortable in this corporate type of situation if I wasn't like a really big company and having you, Chris, as someone that I really felt comfortable with and I spent a lot of one-on-one time with you, I think has helped with my growth substantially. So, well, thank you. Um, But also, um, you know, you're obviously a year in now. While we do have an office, most of us work from home most of the days, right? And so kind of talking about that is when you work from home, do you feel like work from home is mostly satisfying for you? Is that kind of what you're looking for for this position and your future position, like how do you view work from home? And I'll have some follow-ups after that. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I really love work from home. I think it's a good balance of what we have, having the office and having the opportunity to come in if I wanted to. And I really like the flexibility of, you know, all my family still in Hawaii and I appreciate the opportunities to go work from different places. Mm-hmm. Then work from home is not necessarily working from your specific home. You know, you can kind yeah. of travel around and work wherever your laptop is, which I love. But I think a lot of people in my generation can relate coming out of college. You hear about all these like or you kind of imagine this scenario in your head of a workspace you're going to be in, your classic, get dressed up, go into work, and go to happy hours after. You know, there's a lot more culture to it yeah. than just what happens in the office. Yeah. And having that banter of, with coworkers and yeah. those, like, offshoot conversations. So I think there's a piece of that where I'm getting it here, and we do come into the office occasionally, but I think... Sometimes I wish we had a little more of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people probably feel the same way. Yeah. You know, I was, I was listening to a podcast about 
work from home and it was the balance of people miss the culture and it still can exist of course but and then the idea is well should work even be should we even be worrying about work providing that culture right and you know could people with work from home explore that culture in other ways through other social circles and there's some truth to that but work is a little bit of a forced interaction but it is there is a collective kind of um, energy to it and a collective people moving in one direction that is unifying and there's obviously common ground when you are at work you are working the same type of thing so there's a lot of things you have in common with other people and so you know as i balance this with like someone who is more old school went to work every day and work from home i remember even just like four or five years ago we were playing around with the concept of work from home it was like two days per month you were allowed to work from home and it was still like we're just like today i mean or any uh like 2022 where you could just work from home any day really everyone was just on a computer but it was the biggest leap for the agency to allow two days per month and we were tracking it. I remember having a spreadsheet and it's just like laughable now, but I still fight that culture because, you know, I think about work from home as yes, day to day, you can do your job from home and you can still get mentorship and you can still get training and you can still work as a team online. But there's some soft skills that come, especially in a, in a field like marketing where in-person matters to see how you handle certain situations. It's not even about the water cooler talk or the, oh, quick huddle it's, I mentioned in a previous podcast about soft skills in this industry is a, not an industry of savants and it's of experience because you have to go through the good and the bad and, and pull from those experiences for future things that will pop up. And if you're only working remote, you can do your tasks well and you can do your job well, but you may be missing on a certain portion of a field like advertising. If you're an engineer or someone who's a developer, there is an element of your job is very day-to-day tactical, but advertising is so much about soft skills. And I think there's an element of in-person that allows you to see those soft skills in ways that you don't working from home. Even like a version of a huddle. We do a huddle on Slack and there's an element of that, but there's not a face-to-face. There's not a tone you see from it and how someone works. And so I'm not saying back in the office work will ever make its way or I don't agree it should be full time and you know what is the balance who knows but having a there is I think some value of in person and it's just I think we're going to figure out the the pendulum swing on this I I hope it doesn't go back full the way or even half the way but I think it needs to come back a little bit of the way again that's my maybe older perspective on it but I do think there is value to in person and I hopefully we can find the right mix and move forward with it um but how do you get the best out of your day so working from home you have your dog, Theo, which we love. It's a beautiful golden. And uh, puppy stage. How old is Theo now? He's almost two. Almost two. So technically yeah. a two. Well, he's not a puppy, but I always called my dogs puppies until the end. So um, puppy stage. But how, how, I guess, how do you get the best out of your day? Making sure you stay focused, not get too distracted, and feeling like you're productive, but not just locked in too much and maybe not able to kind of enjoy the work-life balance that should come from working from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a million distractions working from home, but I also feel like in a lot of ways there's less distractions. Like when I come into the office, <laughs> I love talking to everyone. Um, I walk out and I'm like, what, what did I do today? Like oh, I just man. had so yeah. many conversations yeah. in a good way yeah. um, where you kind of feel like you're fitting in the work Yeah. in between conversations, whereas yeah. at home yeah. you're fitting in the conversations you're trying to like yeah. have that more um, yeah. community feel. But I'd say... One of the biggest things that I just have learned about myself throughout school and work is that my most productive hours are from like 7, 6.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock to 10. Yeah. And so I 
will wake up early and start working early because I know I'm going to get the best quality work during those hours. And that is another thing that comes with work from home is you have the flexibility to start work at 630 if you wanted to. Yeah. And like you couldn't stroll up. I mean, maybe you could stroll up to an office at six yeah. and be like, oh, yeah, I just, you know, felt yeah. productive. Uh, but you'd have to get up even earlier then. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Commuting in. And I'm a very big task write it down physical to-do list so i have yeah. my to-do list and then i have a notebook so i have all my notes for clients and whatnot and then my to-do list and i have every day flip the page and i create little check boxes for myself and i was just talking to you chris about this uh i set timers for myself because i have very bad adhd and so i like make little goals for myself where okay i'm gonna work on this for 20 minutes i'll set a timer and I have to work until the timer's up. And when you do that, you're like hyper-focused, at least for me. Yeah. And so you're not, because you'll get emails, you'll get pinged, you'll get pulled in so many directions. You don't have to answer within 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Should, it's an addictive behavior if yeah. you do, which I am guilty of at times. Yeah. No, I totally, I'm, I'm the same way. And so I've been trying to get better at it. And I have found just a simple thing like setting a timer really helps. So do you feel, and be honest, <laughs> as somebody technically is your boss, um, but if you're starting work at 637, like, do you still feel like you're working until five? Do you get the breaks in the day? Because if you start earlier because it's better for you mentally, do you feel like you can still work what, let's just call it a 40-hour work week or uh, whatever that may be because you're starting earlier? And then because it's client services also, I think, you know, it's hard because if a client emails you at 3.30 or 4, even though you may be on your 8th or ninth hour because you started early, like clients expect responses, maybe not in that the next two minutes, but probably before end of day. So yeah. how are you balancing that? And do you do you weigh that in your decision of waking up early, what your meeting schedule is? Like, how are you finding um, a good rhythm? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not like clocking out at 3 and then yeah. leaving. But what, what, sorry, what I meant more by like, six to 10 is my hard task, my things that yeah. I know I have to like super hyper focus on, especially, you know, working on a client right now, Zern. Hey, shout out to Zern. <laughs> shout out to Zern, where I am making kind of bulky reports and I cannot be distracted because there's so many numbers. There's so much room for error. Yeah. So that's kind of what I mean by, Yeah. I don't do that every day. Like I don't wake yeah. up at six and work from six, whatever, every single day, but maybe like Mondays and Tuesdays where I know I have like my bulk of my work. I just can't be distracted in that yeah. because I know I won't produce quality work and I know there'll be mistakes. Yeah. And so those are like the situations where I wake up early and I yeah. do that because I feel like you just have to prioritize the type of work where you need to be 110% yeah. there. Well, that's, you know, you see that in a lot of what people talk about. It's like the whole point of work from home especially a lot of white collar jobs should be the flexibility that if it's a seven to three or 11 to six, like, what are the hours that are comfortable with you? But as a business owner, I think from my perspective, it's like challenging because it's client services. And when we're a small agency, one of the values that we, we typically bring is speed, right? And how do you keep that feeling like the clients are getting the top level service and getting responses with also accounting for your employees who need to work when they feel is best, right? And so there is... There's a I like anything. There's a balance to it, and I think that it sounds like you found a, a struck up a good balance to that. I guess the question is, do you feel like 
the workplace or the trends that you're seeing that I guess it's myself or even the clients are accepting that. Do you feel like you've been able to log, like if you start a little bit earlier in a day that you can kind of log off a little bit and just like kind of mentally check out later in the day? Or are you taking bigger breaks during the day to kind of balance that out? Because I'm guessing in my mind, if an email comes at four o'clock on a Wednesday, you're probably going to be expected to respond to it at some point, probably that day, whether that's fair or unfair. But, yeah. you know, this again, I want to get your perspective on like that day. Yeah. No, I I mean, I feel like I always have kind of an always on at least until probably, to be completely honest, up until like 5.30, 6 o'clock. Like I'm constantly kind of checking things. Yeah. I never mentally check out. I'll be, it'll be 8 o'clock at night. I'll be like, oh, gosh, check my email really quick. <laughs> and so that is also another challenge is knowing where to kind of. Yeah check out yeah. like okay i'm it's not i'm not in work mode anymore yeah uh but i would say i like to take walks so that's like a bigger reason that i like to work a little bit earlier because i'll take my dog on like a 30 40 minute walk as like my lunch uh and it's a good mental break to yeah. just and I, to be honest i do bring my phone and yeah. i'll have like my notifications on <laughs> no, and just, i'll be in the park throwing well, a ball and i need to respond to something because that i mean you have to be there you have yeah. to be available well it's so hard this is what i'm saying it's like it's hard to break this like in theory the idea of working the hours that you need to work so i think you're kind of proving the point of like what works best for you is hard to work in the business world and so you're almost trying to straddle both of those I do see or feel like I've noticed this trend at both my agencies. So the current DNW and my previous agency where I was an employee there, that the Northwest and Seattle culture is a little bit more loose and maybe not, people aren't working until seven eight or eight very often or even past like emails seem to really slow down around five o'clock. So hopefully there's not too many emails, but there is this always on feeling, right? That happens in advertising because you're always trying to serve the client and get them what they need in a timely matter. And so it's hard to turn off. And so I think that's one of the things that you fight in this industry is being able to turn off and on, knowing that what's best for you is starting early and getting tests out on certain days. But then also on the other end, you're kind of getting beat up on both ends. So it's good for you to kind of share that so that as a business owner manager, you can try to understand that. And I would say like, you know, it's good to hear that from you. I don't know if we hear that from you often enough. And so as this isn't even like a review period, so hopefully it doesn't sound like a lecture, but it is like, that's really good. And I think that more people could learn from that, giving that feedback and what works best for you. I think that is maybe something we can learn from this is being more transparent in that, what works best for you. And then how can we as managers, bosses, tailor things to a younger generation who wants to be more flexible, but also has to fit into a system that is sometimes rigid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think and that's, that's hard for you to speak up, I imagine, well, because it's like you want to do what's best. You're trying to do your put, put out your best work so that you feel like you're providing a lot of value. But like, that's where we maybe need to destigmatize things so that you can speak up freely on those things so that we, as so companies can adapt to you. I feel like maybe smaller companies are better at it than bigger companies, but maybe companies need to open their eyes and be more flexible. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's also a really big challenge that you and so many people in your position are facing too is when is it too much tailoring? Because that puts a lot of extra work on your plate too. You're like, okay, well, how can we change things to make it not easier, but so that you're getting quality work from everyone in the type of way that they feel best 
equipped in. Well, the dynamics shifting where, you know, of course, the companies had a lot of power and now maybe a chipping, shifting, excuse me, to more the employees are getting some more power, but that's maybe a good thing. And of course, there maybe there's a balance to be struck over time, but it's a modern workforce. It's a modern work world and flexibility and what's important has changed. And so I think it's important for businesses to adjust. I see it happening across even like our clients. You can get a sense of the marketing managers that we potentially work with and how their life is is, is adjusting and how companies are maybe embracing more flexibility. But it's going to be about kind of an evolution and you're going to get it wrong at times. And so trying to get it right more than wrong is, is the goal because like, no one's ever going to be perfect. I did want to pivot a little bit about your position. So your your job, you know, you, you're a media planner. You do a lot of things outside of just one area, but you do have a little bit of focus around paid social. You're very good with it. And the platform is in planning and strategizing and executing within them. But like, I think about this, um, do you ever feel guilty working on platforms that can be at the center of a lot of negative attention, right? So Facebook or Instagram doesn't get negative attention, but it's owned by Meta or Twitter. Do you ever feel a like guilt around that? How do you feel about working on platforms that are important to marketing, but also there are some downsides to them. Yeah, I think sometimes I try not to think too hard <laughs> about that because I try and focus more on what value we're bringing to the clients. And in a lot of ways, you kind of have to be in those spaces. Yeah. If you, if a client came to us and like, oh, we don't really for value reasons, they didn't want to be on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. It would be hard. Like yeah. what? What? We, like those? That's such a big bulk of where companies spend their money, and so I don't really try to think about that side of it because it's kind of like we have to almost be there. So I try and think about like going into the platform and seeing like, oh, we had this many conversions today. This many people are going to the event. Like I'm so yeah. excited. Like let's try and lower the CPA <laughs> so that we can, you know, clients yeah. that don't have as much money. So I I try and look at it from that perspective. Yeah, uh, where we especially some of our smaller clients who are providing such a true value that I can see yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Like, yeah, we sold this many tickets. Yeah. Like, that's so good to hear. And then you hear about the event later and you're like, wow. Like, so those little ma- moments make it really worth it. You know, sometimes when I start to feel a little negative and you get in the bubble of doom and gloom around, like, let's say a Facebook or a Twitter is you feel like, oh, am I supporting a platform that maybe is doing harm but at its core, the people working at Facebook or Meta now are not inherently terrible people. They're just trying to do a good job. And the people that are on those platforms are just trying to enjoy their life and have a social connection. And of course, can percentages of it go too far? But like in the end, the, the media is serving a purpose and it's it's helping clients. The people on the end of that advertising are just genuinely people enjoying the day on that platform or that moment and just trying to connect. And so it's not inherently terrible, although there are negative ends to it. So if you focus on that, so I think you're right. And the the value that it provides for, you know, meta at large has been so important to companies, both big and small. And then without it, it would be a total shift in how media is run, the expectation that comes from it. And so I'm saying that, you, you know, we need to turn a blind eye to that. I think hopefully there is change at certain levels to make it more safe of an environment, but at the same time, is it on us as marketers, right, yeah. to do that? And so, you know, you think about a lot of younger generations, they have a maybe a stronger moral compass than do you worry about that? Like, oh, it's misinformation. Do you, I, I guess, do you try not to burn yourself too much? It sounds like you don't, but like, how do you balance those things? Do you talk to, like when you talk to family and friends about the job, do you, 
How do you feel about like working on a Facebook, for instance? Yeah. Uh, so this is slightly different from Facebook, but and I don't want to like give too much information, but we've been doing a lot of work for a client, getting proposals and, and I've been realizing I was talking to a coworker, Ben, about <laughs> this and I, it's wild to me how money is like behind everything. So for example, we have a drink company and in a lot of the proposals included in that is like a stamp of approval of whatever that company is oh this is like healthy we back this and in my head I'm just like did they like look into the product at all are they looking at the ingredients and I feel like a lot of that is kind of the questionable side of marketing yeah it's where like there's no it's all a little bit like you can put a stamp on anything no yeah. one's really mm-hmm. it seems legit but it's not it's almost like saying it's certified organic but no one really knows what that means right mm-hmm. so i think that there's definitely parts of marketing and my job specifically that yeah. i'm starting to realize that that it's yeah. you can't like obviously you can't trust everything you see on the internet everyone knows that but i didn't really understand the full extent of it and I think it's been really eye-opening to work in a position where you're on the back end of it and you're planning those things that yeah. a normal person would yeah. see. Uh, so that's been that's been an interesting experience. And yeah. I think that's another thing that I could see in the coming years becoming more transparent because people are wanting so much more information. They care so much about what they're digesting and the information they're reading and wanting it to be backed and, and true. So yeah. I'll get you out on this. You're just over a year in the position, right? You talked about having some work before and, 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 you know, kind of a, a slightly more formal agency experience now, but what would you, you know, what's some advice you'd give to someone starting off in advertising some skill sets or just maybe soft traits or things that you would advise that could make them successful or help them transition or kind of take on the challenges that come with advertising? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot in advertising. And I think I've said this before, that coming out of college, you have really no idea how many options you have. It's amazing. There's so many options. And I think the biggest thing that I've loved is working in an environment where you can so freely talk to coworkers who are working in different kind of facets of marketing, where I'm kind of specifically in paid social and I can talk to people who are doing paid search or more like the, the planning side of it or the creative side of it. And so I would say I would encourage you to talk to as many people as you can within your company or your partner agencies or wh- whoever you're dealing with uh, because there's so many different opportunities. And I would say in, when you're starting off your career, unless you have a set path, like I'm going to go down this, I would encourage you to be a little more open-minded about it because there's so many different opportunities that I had no idea even existed. And on another note, I would say you're going to make so many mistakes. (laughs) Don't get down on yourself because everyone makes mistakes. It's so easy to make mistakes, especially when you're working in the platform. It's it's almost like it's working against you. It's like you have to be so clear-cut and like double-check, triple-check everything. Chris, you had such a good tip on this is to just once you're done before you publish anything close it take a five minute break come back open it up with a fresh set of eyes look it over 
So that would be my more tactical piece yeah. of advice is yeah. like, you're going to make mistakes. It's okay. You're not a brain surgeon, uh, <laughs> but you are dealing with people's money. So yeah. you do have to be like responsible and respectable, but it's going to happen. And it's not the end of the yeah. world. You just hope you catch it soon. <laughs> I know. But yeah. I mean, mistakes, <laughs> these platforms are more complicated and fragmented than ever. And when it deals with money and media, it's very high pressure. Not that other positions and other facets of advertising or marketing are, don't have that pressure. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and I think we've talked a lot about that in your year about, you know, growth and and ways to spot those mistakes because those mistakes won't stop happening. I mean, I'm, I've been doing this for a long time and I'll still make mistakes if I manage a campaign. But it's how quickly can you spot them? How f- quickly can you correct them? How strong is your QA process? And, and getting back up, I mean, there's a little bit of a CYA, a little bit of cover your ass on things. But by QAing it and working with a larger team on it, you're making sure it's a team effort to make sure things go well. So, yeah, that would be a good piece of advice is you make it a team effort, mm-hmm. even if there's individual tasks, yeah. for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining the, the program. We'll call it a program and the <laughs> podcast. Um, it's a pleasure having you and can't wait to have you back in the future. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Loved being here. Awesome. <laughs>